So the power question is, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? You know, how would you solve this challenge if you weren't afraid? If you weren't afraid of failure, if you weren't afraid of other people's opinions, if you weren't afraid of whatever the challenge may be, if you were coming from that place of fearlessness, what would you do? What would you say? What actions would you take if you weren't afraid? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So we have Tracy Fenton on the call here where we're going to talk about amazing principles that you might not have thought about when it comes to workplace principles. We're talking about democracy. We're talking about freedom. And we're talking about being fearless. And so Tracy is the founder and CEO of World Blue. Tracy, welcome to the show. And I'd love to kick this off with you telling us a bit more about what World Blue is and what's your role within bringing these principles forward. Hey, Jason. Great to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I started World Blue 22 years ago, and it has been such an incredible journey to really take a stand for what we believe in, which is all about how do we advance and grow world-class businesses and world-class cultures using freedom and organizational democracy? And how do we help advance more freedom rather than fear in the world through the way we run our businesses? So I started WorldBlue 22 years ago, and we've had the privilege of working with wonderful companies all over the world in 80 countries worldwide now, including Valley, And we certify the most freedom-centered workplaces in the world. And everything that we do is based on a model that we teach, which is called Freedom at Work. And the Freedom at Work model has three legs to the stool, if you think about it this way. And those three legs are mindset, leadership, and design. So how do we cultivate organizations that operate from a freedom-centered rather than fear-based mindset, a freedom-centered rather than fear-based way of leading, and a freedom-centered rather than fear-based way of organizational design? I love it. And Tracy, we've been working together for a couple months and I've been aware of World Blue given that my experience within Mind Valley, it's always an award that we have sitting on the shelves because Mind Valley has been certified year after year. And what I wanted to do is for people that understand how powerful this is. It allows you to grow, attract better talent, and just make work more pleasant to do in general. I wanted to see if we could have something that people could do right now where they could actually find themselves applying possibly one of the principles or to really start being able to make a decision that's more from a place of democracy as opposed to a place of fear. And walk us through that. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things we teach at World Blue is our five-step practice called the power question practice. And it's all about how you shift your mindset from fear to freedom. And most of the time, you know, people aren't walking around saying, oh, I'm in fear. You know, (laughs) we talk about being stressed or anxious or controlling, or we get angry and all of those things are symptoms of fear. And so what we have to do is really uncover the fear. So for your listeners, I want you to think for a moment about a challenge that you're dealing with right now any challenge. It can be personal or professional. It can be you're upset with a colleague at work, or you have a promotion that's coming up and you're worried about it, or you have a presentation at work and you are concerned about that, or just any challenge that you're dealing with. So kind of in your mind, just think of a challenge. 
And I'm going to now take you through the five questions that we teach people to identify and overcome the fear. So the first question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in relation to this challenge? Oftentimes, what we think we're afraid of isn't really what we're afraid of. So sometimes we can think, oh my gosh, you know, I have a big presentation coming up next week at work and I'm really afraid I'm going to bomb it. You know, I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to bomb this presentation. But when you peel that back, what you're maybe really afraid of is failure or afraid of what other people will think of you or afraid of losing your job and having to live under a bridge in a you know box. <laughs> you know, so what are you afraid of? You want to really peel that back and explore to the deepest level what is it that you're afraid of? Because just by uncovering that, it helps to lessen the fear. And then the second question is, why are you afraid? So why are you afraid? Is it something that happened in the past? Are you projecting something into the future? Did someone say something to you that, you know, you're kind of like worried about for this situation? Why is it exactly that you're afraid of? Do you not believe in yourself? Unpack that. So we've gone through, what are you afraid of and why are you afraid? And now we get to the power question, which is what would you do if you weren't afraid? And the reason we call this a power question is because when we're in fear, we're not in our power. But when we're coming from that place of freedom and possibility, then we are in our power. So the power question is, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? You know, how would you solve this challenge if you weren't afraid? If you weren't afraid of failure, if you weren't afraid of other people's opinions, if you weren't afraid of whatever the challenge may be, if you were coming from that place of fearlessness, right? What would you do? What would you say? What actions would you take if you weren't afraid? And then the fourth question is, how would you feel without the fear? <laughs> you know, how would you feel? Well, you probably would feel energized and excited and liberated and inspired. So often we drag through the day because of these fears that we're not addressing. You know, everyone's running out and we're getting our Starbucks or our Red Bulls or whatever <laughs> energy drinks. And I think a lot of the times we just really need to address the fear and the stress that's weighing us down and causing us to be foggy thinkers. So how would you feel without the fear? You would probably feel energized. I know I do when I address the fear. I get a whole burst of energy through me. And then the last question, and this is really important, is why is it okay to let the fear go? Why is it okay to let the fear go? And for some people, you know, it might be something like, I know it's okay to let the fear go because I believe the universe is good and I'm going to trust the universe. Or I believe it's okay to let the fear go because you know what? Somehow I've always managed to kind of figure out an answer to this and it's going to work out. But it's really important for you to get clear on why you would let the fear go. So just to recap, those five questions are, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? How would you feel without the fear? And why is it okay to let the fear go? And it all starts with mindset, Jason, as you know, and what Mind Valley teaches so well, it all comes back to mindset. When you get your mindset right, then it's easier for you to lead yourself and others from a place of freedom rather than fear. And then you're ready to go and design an organization based on those democratic principles. But if you're coming from that mindset of fear, you're not going to get there. So that five-step power question practice, I've taught to thousands of leaders all over the world, and it really, really can wake people up and turn things around. 
Tracy, this is such a powerful process. I've never seen it framed this way. I want to share the fact that I actually had a fear that came up for me and it was through a mastermind that I found out what was holding me back. And in this case, it was a fear of loss of identity if I'm not associated with Valley. I had a lot of that energy would make me make decisions out of fear. And if something wasn't going exactly how I wanted in the workplace, I started having resentment or I thought it was unfair. And I started being in a very victim mode and I didn't realize this was what was holding me back. And when I started acknowledging it, seeing it for what it was, and I started detaching myself and realized that, no, I am a whole person as I am. It allowed me to actually come back and give 100% of myself to Mind Valley without that attachment and understand that there's so many other things that I can do in the process, which has led to the creation of things like this podcast and has led to the creation of the fact that I do my own consulting as well because I was able to have that discussion with the leadership team within Mind Valley. And I'd say it is actually quite easy to be able to have those conversations in an organization that has these democratic principles because everyone is in this understanding that this is a mindset thing. It's a belief thing. But once that I had this attachment to that identity or that belief removed, I just started showing up for the right reasons and delivering exactly what wanted. I wanted to leave behind with Valley and keep just not having that fear base and really come from a place of abundance. And I've never structured it in this five-step process. And this is actually what I want to do after I'm done with this call. So Thank you so much. And I hope everybody listening understands that this is super powerful and there's definitely amazing ways you can apply this. And I wanted to ask this one question, Tracy, because I detected it through a mastermind. And I want to ask, how does one get to understand what is the fear? If you know you said at the beginning, you're not always sure what that core fear is. Yeah, that's great. Well, first of all, I want to really acknowledge what you just said, Jason, because that's awesome. Like you were able to identify that fear of loss of identity and look at how by identifying the fear, you then were able to see the ripple effect that fear was having on your decisions. But then you were able to choose a more freedom-centered approach. It got you back in your power and look at what it has you doing. Like you're totally crushing it. And so that is awesome. That is just so, so awesome. So to your question of sometimes people can't even identify the fear. It's interesting. When I first started this mindset work, all I had was the power question. I used to just say to people, so what would you do if you weren't afraid? And some people could get to their answer, you know, like that. And some people couldn't. And so that's why I decided to go with this five-step process, which is that first question, what are you afraid of? And if you're feeling really stuck on that and you can't identify the fear, That's where it's really great to turn to a trusted friend or a coach and have them work with you. And the biggest thing is to just keep peeling back those layers. You know, I had a friend who had a very successful career in sales and got let go by a CEO who's very threatened by her success. And she was going to go interview for new jobs. And she hadn't interviewed in a very long time. And she called me up and she said, I'm so nervous about doing all these interviews. And I said, you're so professional. You're so pulled together. You're so successful. Are you really afraid of interviewing? Because <laughs> you're going to do a great job. And as we kept talking about it, I was like, well, what are you really afraid of? You know, as we peeled back the layers of the onion, what she realized was she was really afraid of losing confidence in herself, that if she didn't do well in that interview, she would lose her sense of self-worth and self-confidence. And the second she saw that, because by just shining the light on the fear, 
that dispels the fear. It's two thirds dispelled, you know, just by shining the light on it. And then you take action and it's done. And so by shining that light and she's like, wait, I'm not going to lose confidence myself. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. She was able to go out, nailed every interview, got offered a ton of different jobs and is now doing a wonderful job that she loves. So it's turning to that trusted friend or a coach or someone who can really help you out, peel back those layers or just doing your own deep work on it. Just going deeper and deeper into that question. And like you said, it's such a mindset thing that you need to work on. It's a question that you keep repeating, a cycle that you can keep using as a tool because it always gets you to further and further steps closer to freedom. I wanted to ask a question, which is, you mentioned like your friend was let go from that organization where there was a CEO that had, it seems like a very fear-based response to the growth of an employee. So the question I wanted to go into is like, what gets in the way of democracy or what happens when you're in a workplace that maybe democracy is totally not acknowledged, even averted? Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. Okay. So it took me a long time to figure this out with our work and research with hundreds of companies, but this answer might be a little different than what you've expected. So one of the biggest barriers to actually practicing organizational democracy or freedom at work is the level of self-worth of the CEO. Okay. So what do I mean by this? First of all, what I mean by self-worth is how much do you know your worth? Do you love yourself? Are you comfortable in who you are? Do you like yourself? Self-worth is about loving who you are. It's different than self-confidence because people can be confident, people can act confident, but still be deeply insecure. So self-worth is about security and who you are. And the question that I love to ask people is, okay, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the highest, how would you rate your level of self-worth and why? And we consider sort of the high self-worth zone to be an eight or higher. And of course, the why is self-worth should always come from internal reasons, not external. So let me give you an example. We were working with a company that is a manufacturing company, and we had been working with them for a long time. They had sent a lot of their top employees to our trainings, to our workshops. They'd attended our conferences. The CEO never came. Finally, the CEO came to one of our deep, intensive trainings in Freedom at Work. And we did talk about self-worth quite a bit. And on the last day, he stood up and said, we asked everyone to make a commitment to one thing they were going to do to move freedom and democracy more forward in the organization. And he stood up and he said, I'm going to work on my self-worth. And we really saw how he struggled with self-worth and it was creating a massive block to us being able to take that organization to the next level. Now, when we approached him and said, okay, so how are you going to work on that self-worth? Because we can help you. We've got all these great tools and courses we can help you with. He was just not really willing to do the work. And so he was giving it lip service, but he wasn't willing to do the work. And so over time, because now all these top employees, they knew the role of self-worth They watched him not do the work. And I have to say, Jason, just to be crystal clear on this, the reason self-worth correlates so much to freedom is when you are secure in who you are as a leader, whether you're the CEO or you're the head of a team, when you are secure in who you are, you want to create an environment where everyone can be at their best. You want to create an environment where everyone can rise up. If you're not secure in who you are as a leader, you feel threatened by other people's success. You feel threatened by other people's ideas. So you really cannot build a freedom center company if you are a low self-worth leader. It's just not going to happen. And 
in this case, we watched this leader not do the work and everyone else was trying to do the inner work and move the organization forward. Eventually all those top players left and he sold the company. He just wasn't able to pull it together. Now, conversely, when you look at companies like Mindvalley or WD40 or Menlo Innovations or Widen or all these top amazing companies we work with, most of the time, you know, those CEOs are high self-worth people. They're secure in who they are. They're open to feedback. There's a sense of humility there. There's a sense of openness. Yes, they're confident, but they have high self-worth and that's why they want to create these kinds of environments. And if we look at this on a global level too, you know, you look at a country level, you can kind of pick out low self-worth leaders and high self-worth leaders and see the ones that are moving democracy and freedom forward for their people and those that aren't. Wow. You're right. I had not heard of it explained this way, but it makes so much sense. And I'd love to put myself as an example here, which I am someone who's portrayed as extremely high self-confidence because I'm a salesperson. I'm someone who has the gift of being able to communicate quite well. And I've worked very hard to get to that level. But I've also found myself, I'd say maybe about three, four years ago, that if someone had asked me what my self-worth is, I would rank it like a nine or a 10. But then when I drop into the reasons why, it would all be external validation. And it's actually something I still question every day because I see myself looking for validation from other people. And so if you'd ask me today, I'd probably rank it at a five or a six. And I would actually say, because I've been putting in a lot of work and really diving into personal growth, questioning the things I take for granted and really understanding that there's a journey that I'm always going to be on to build on that. But I've also noticed the incredible results that have happened around me when I've done the work on the self-worth and the journey continues. And so the way that you demonstrated that and that example, I think, makes it so clear. And I hope for everybody listening, you understand how we're all on this journey of developing that self-worth and it is a bottleneck to this democratic principle. And this leads me to the question, Tracy, in a case of someone in an organization that has a leader in the case that is possibly dealing with these issues around self-worth is responding in a very fear-based mentality. I'm assuming there's a threshold where you can actually bring these ideas forward to your leadership team, but if they get rejected or you see that after certain efforts, there might be some decisions you need to make from a career standpoint. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. And you know, first of all, thank you for so authentically sharing, Jason, where you are, where you would rank yourself. And I love how you kind of came back to saying, well, I might've before given myself a higher ranking in self-worth, but for the wrong reasons. And now you're being authentic and you're saying, I kind of think I'm here, but I'm doing that inner work. And that's really what it's about. My personal belief is we're all tens in self-worth. We just forget. Sometimes we just forget. That's it. But we're all tens. And I'll never forget when I, I live in Boulder, Colorado right now, but I lived in Washington, DC at the time several years ago. And I just happened to look up from my desk at this moment when a giant city bus went by, metro bus went by. And you know how they have ads on the side of the buses. And it was this ad and the ad had the Citibank logo in the upper right corner the background of the ad was all white and in giant black letters, it said, you were born pre-approved. You were born pre-approved. I mean, it's a really spiritual ad, you know? And I think that's the reality is that when you say you're a tenant self-worth for some people, they'll go, oh, that sounds arrogant or no, we're knowing our worth. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we haven't made mistakes. It doesn't mean we aren't constantly improving. That's different than knowing your worth. So I firmly believe each and every one of us is a 10. Now to your question, it's a very perceptive question. You are absolutely right. So 
I would encourage people, you got to kind of take a moment and go, where's my manager's self-worth level? Where's my boss's self-worth level? And kind of go with your gut. You can tell if people are insecure or not. You can tell if people are you know, lying, pretending, faking, whatever. Or you can tell the leaders who are high self-worth. And if your leader is high self-worth or your manager, then you've got an open door to having a lot of great conversations about ideas like freedom at work and other wonderful ideas that are out there that help build more freedom-centered workplace cultures. If your manager is low self-worth, you're probably pulling your hair out at work right now. (laughs) You're probably really struggling. And sometimes it's confusing. I talk with people who have higher self-worth than their boss or manager And they'll say to me, Tracy, I'm being so nice to them. I'm doing everything I know how to do. And they still bite my head off or they still are a bully or they're still a jerk or whatever it may be. And the reality is no matter how kind you are to them, unless they're willing to do the inner work on their own self-worth, it's not going to change. And that might be a situation where you need to go down a different path and say, see ya. So it's a tough question, but it's definitely one that has to be addressed. I appreciate that feedback because, yeah, I think there could be a situation where people need to make the decision of where their career path happens. I mean, the purpose of doing anything, I believe, is just growing. And so if you're finding yourself being stifled because someone else doesn't want to take their own growth seriously as well, this is where some big questions come up. I wanted to switch it the other way around is if I'm leading my team and I'm noticing possibly that one of my team members is dealing or struggling with these ideas of self-worth, what are some of the things I can do to possibly empower them? Or is it also a similar case where I need to realize that they might need to be let go? Great question. So we deal with that a lot because the companies that bring us in, they'll notice they have employees that are struggling with self-worth. And then again, that creates a ripple effect of really bad dysfunctional behaviors in the organization. So it really comes down to two key questions. Let's say you're a leader. You see you have an employee that's got low self-worth. You have to ask yourself, number one, are they aware of where their self-worth is? So they might not be aware of it at all or they might be aware of it. So it's just number one is awareness. And then number two, the question you have to ask is, is this person coachable? Okay. So if they're not aware and they're not coachable, forget it. You know, if they're not aware, but they're coachable. Okay. And if they're aware and they're coachable, slam dunk. So at that point, if they're aware or they're willing to become aware and they're coachable, well, then that's where you can start to get them into some courses or a coach or some training and encourage them. You know, it's all about really encouraging that person. And I think it's a valuable question. You know, if you're a manager and you've got an employee who you can see as high potential, maybe they're joyous and they're a good worker, but they're very insecure, you might want to sit down with them and create an emotionally safe place to just say to them on a one to 10, where do you feel like your self-worth is and why? And just open up that conversation and see how self-aware they are. And then just kind of say, do you want to work on this? You know, And if they're like, yes, I do, then give them the tools to work on it and watch them bloom and encourage, 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 encourage. Never stop encouraging them, holding them accountable and encouraging them. And if you have an employee who is not coachable and is low self-worth, they're probably toxic, drain and keeping you up at night. You need to let them go. Wow. Tracy, thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible podcast. We covered so many powerful tools here. And the way that you've answered these questions, the tools that you share with the people truly shows where you're coming from a place of freedom and you're coming from a place of love, which I think is something to be admired, something to be respected. And I think everybody listening just got a ton of value by spending this time together. So for everybody listening, 
do the exercise. Those five questions are so powerful. And you've seen some amazing tools you can use if you're in a management position or you're an employee that you can really see and use this idea around self-worth being so powerful to understand what potential your organization has to shift towards a more democratic process or be more democratically centered. And with that, you're going to see that it actually makes a positive effect on the bottom line and across every metric in the organization. It's such a powerful model of reality that might not have been considered for a lot of you listening. But if you embrace it, I highly encourage you to go to worldblue.com, discover so much more about this organization, all the tools they have available. It's a fantastic organization. And Tracy, Once again, thank you so much for your time. And everybody, thank you for listening. Thanks for having me, Jason. I loved it. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.